Good morning. We have just spent a, a solid month restating and, and taking a, a deeper dive into our mission statement, which by now you should all know. If not, I've completely failed you. Uh, experiencing God's love and extending God's love. Um, with the, and, and digging in specifically that we experience God's love that through the fact that, that Jesus came down, that he became the propitiation for our sins, and he continues, God through the Holy Spirit, continues the work of sanctification in us, and then we extend his love, first of all, back up to him through worship and devotion, and secondly, out by extending the love that God has shown us, this incarnational, humble, self-giving love for the promotion, the building up of others. We extend it first to the body of Christ, we extend it to our neighbors, and ultimately to the nations and this, this is and was re, intended to remind us through everything we've been through, especially over the last couple of years, it would be easy to lose focus of who we are as a church, but to remind us that we are a community of believers called for a specific purpose. And that is keeping God's love as the absolute center of what we do and not our own motives, not our own agendas, but to make sure that what we do is either helping people, helping us understand what God has done for us uh, and, and, and resting in the love of God and enabling others to have that same love of God in their lives. And it is keeping the love of God at the center. Now, staying in that same vein, we're going to take a shift uh, to from the mission, experiencing God's love and extending God's love to what we value most. These core values, these, and, and these core values, and, and they get that I, that word gets thrown around a lot. Here's what here's specifically what what we mean by that: that that these these things, these core values, create an identity compass for us as a church. That is, we are going about extending God's love and experiencing God's love, which can be fairly broad and vague if we are not careful, that these would be an identity compass that as we experience and extend God's love, that these things that we care deeply about would move us in the direction of God's glory, of God's grace, of gathering together and go. And so we have glory, grace, gather, go. And these, these are the values that we've pulled out. That glory, and this seems obvious, but that we need to make sure that it is the fame of God that is in the middle of and the point of experiencing and extending his love. And there's a lot of people who would take things that look and sound like experiencing and extending God's love and work their way into the middle of it instead of having God himself, the, the only true God, the only wise God, be at the center. And then grace, the, the grace of God saves us and enables us uh, allowing us to experience God's love through salvation and giving us the strength and ability to extend God's love and to serve the Lord, that his grace saves and enables, and that we gather um, so that we, uh, because we can't fully do any of this on our own. We need the body of Christ. Our belonging as believers is in the community of saints, and so we gather together so that we can study God's word, so we can remember what Christ has done, so we can call on his name and hold each other accountable to the commission he's given us. And that we go, refusing to extend 
only inside our doors, knowing that God's heart is for so much more than that. And so the glory is about His fame. The grace is about His kindness. The, the gathering is about His body being together, and the going is being about His purposes. And so before we go any further, let us bow in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you have saved us. That what other God, what, what other form of deity could ever look at his enemies and say they'd make great children? And Lord, we pray as, as the, the psalm that we read earlier in the service brought up, Lord, would you unite our hearts for your glory? And God, would you expose any false worship that's within us? As subtle as it may be, would you expose any, any devotion in our heart to something other than you? Any, any place in our heart where we've made a good thing, an ultimate thing, God, would you, would you make that clear? And as we seek to be a body that doesn't just gather on Sundays to sing songs, but that we seek to be a body that would proclaim your goodness to our community, to each other, and to the world. Lord, would you be glorified. Would you guard us for your good and for your glory and for your fame. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, as humans are built for worship. And it's, it's obvious that the, the act of glorifying something that's perceived to be greater than us is not limited to the Christian experience either. Everywhere you go in the world, you will find worship. Every single place. It's in the very fabric of what it means to be human. And I'm not just talking about temples. Unless, of course, you would consider arenas to be temples where, where somebody, great skill with an inflated orb is worshipped. Or somebody who, who's a phenomenal musician is bowed down to. Or maybe this would be your temple. And your social media star, your, your, the blog you follow, the podcasts you listen to are your places of worship that draw your affections up to the greatest And false religions are, are much more than, than what we typically think of with Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, any form of animism. And it, it's much more than that. It takes on to the social media. False religions take on the form of political figures and the American dream. To ideals of who you think you should be, or ideals of who you think your kids should be, or what your relationships should be. And we are... Today, just as humanity in all time, bombarded with invitations to worship. We constantly have these, these invitations. Come bow down. Come give me your heart. Come give me your deepest affections and aspirations and admiration. We have not grown out of that as a, as a race of people. 
And this multi-directional pull for our worship, our deepest dependency, our our admiration, the, the desires we have, I'm reminded of Paul in Acts 17, when he was at the uh, uh, Aeropagus, uh, and I just butchered that. I'm not even going to try again. It's, it's, not, it's not in here today. I, I had it earlier this week. Aeropagus, there we go. I knew it would come. So I'm going to start reading. Paul is standing in the midst of the Aeropagus, and he said, Men of Athens, he's been spending his day walking around, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, the unknown God, that they would have had altars for all kinds of gods, and just in case case they had missed one, or or that the idea that their theology was vastly incomplete, they had the unknown God, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods for the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. Listen to this. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for We are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art and imagination of a man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given the assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this of the culture in Athens, and the same could be said of our culture. Everywhere I go, I see objects of worship. And there's a searching within your culture to make sure you're worshiping the right deity. And I'm going to tell you this, you don't need to search very far because he's right here. And he's not a God that we serve, you know, in the, in, the, in the Roman culture, you see this a lot in other in animistic cultures, in Hinduism, where people bring food to the gods because the gods can't get it on their own. And he's saying, we don't, we don't go to that God. We don't serve him. He gives us what we need. And then he says, it's not a, like the God of heaven. He's not a God that an artist made. Which Paul's drawn on some really funny texts in the Old Testament there about how we'll just decorate a log and then bow down and worship it. Isaiah said, half the tree, you cut down and you make a fire and you say, ah, I am warm. And the other half, you put some earrings on and worship it. He's saying, we don't make our God. Our God made us. And in him, we live and move and have our being. And what Paul is telling the people in Athens, 
And what we need to hear is that you don't need to go look for God. God has made you. He's really not that far off from you. You need to recognize Him. And that you need to get in line with Him. You need to glorify Him. So today, as we look at this value, namely the value of glory, we recognize that that we live in response to the glory of God. And specifically what we're going to focus on is this right here. We exist to bring glory to the one true God in all we do. We exist to bring glory to the one true God in all we do. And that's what Paul is telling the people in Athens. You don't exist to clamor around worshiping everything that could be a God, hoping that one of them is right. You exist because there is one true God who has made you, who has given you your breath, he's given you your food, he's given you your shelter, and you need to repent of your sin, turn, and follow him. And so we're going to break this this basic sentence down. We exist to bring glory to the one true God and all we do means that we were made by God and for God. In Him we live and move and have our being. Glorifying God and declaring the glory of God starts with the recognition that God is a purposeful creator. It can be so easy to lose sight of this and to look too much at ourselves and too little at God. But when we remember that he is the source, our perspective is realigned with reality, and we are able to once again see ourselves as those created by a creator. I think there's some of us that would would probably benefit from having just a note that says, you were created by a creator. Just as a reminder that, that we need to kind of dethrone ourselves a little bit. The Puritan John Owen said this, Try and follow, because he he talked like an old guy. He hadn't learned proper English yet. Some of you, it's a joke. (laughs) God made all this world of nothing and could have made another more or all things quite otherwise than they are. It would not subsist one moment without his omnipotent support. Nothing would be continued in its place, coarse use without his effectual influence and countenance. Listen to this. If anything can be, live or act a moment without him, we may take free leave to dispute its disposal with him and to haste unto the accomplishment of our own desires. What he's saying there is if anything in all creation can do whatever it wants apart from God, then we really don't need him. If we, if we can do everything, anything apart from his countenance, his sustaining, then, then he's not really God if, if he didn't really create us. And then he goes this, but from the angels in heaven to the worms of the earth and the grass of the field, all depend on him and his power continually. So he sets up, if we don't really depend on his power, then we can go do whatever we want. But from the angels to the worms in the grass, everything depends on his power. I don't exist for me. Others do not exist for me. We all exist for God. He has made us for His purposes. He gives us life, movement, and being. And out of love, 
And out of our best interest, he has commanded that we have no gods other than him. He has commanded us to worship him out of our best interest. The lone creator of the universe is to be the lone receiver of our praise in the universe. And to regularly remind ourselves that we are created by God becomes a source of humility and comfort. Humility in that I didn't get here on my own. Maybe I'm not quite as special as what all my preschool teachers told me. And comfort, knowing that I'm not random, that I'm not here without a purpose, that I'm not going to be forgotten, but I was made by a creator. I need to remember that I did not arrive on this earth to be the center of anything, but I am just as created as the worm in the grass, to quote John Owen. I can also look around at you and myself and say we are created, and what's more is that God, in all his power, in all his ability to create, he could have created a billion different universes or more, and he created this one with us, and he chose in his good pleasure to save us. And make us his. Not even, and he made us in his likeness. A boasting that not even Mount Everest can make. We exist by God and for God. God made you to glorify his name. What a great joy that is. In Colossians 1, when Paul is teaching about Christ's role as a member of the Trinity, that he is the exact imprint of the glory of God, that he, he is, is this creator, that, that God the Father and God the Son created together, and it says that nothing was made without him. By him all things were made, all things are held together, and all things were made for him. It's a great truth that Paul is pointing the people in Athens to and pointing us to, that we were made by a creator for the creator. You were made by God for God himself. You were made by God to glorify his name. You were made by God for his joy. Sometimes we hear, you shall have no other gods but me. And we don't catch the joy in that. We, we do catch, if we're paying attention, the danger of where our souls can go if we give ourselves to other deities, to other gods with a little g, whatever form they would take. But we don't catch the joy that God made you for himself. What a great truth that is. So we exist to bring glory. We are made by God for God to the only true God. By God, for God, the only God. If you want to just wait till the next bullet point, all you need to remember is this. Treat God the way you confess Him. You can tune me out for a few minutes now. Treat God the way you confess Him. 
God is the only God. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is merciful and mighty and holy. If we treat God the way we confess Him, this will just clear up all the muddy waters. The problem is that false worship is about as old as sin itself. And it took nearly no time at all for the human heart to contrive something else that they could put at the center than God himself. That, and, and really, to be honest, insincere worship is, even, is, is just as old. All I have to do is think of Cain. All I have to do is bring this, this produce and I'll be good. And the heart of worship of I'm going to glorify God, I'm going to give to God out of what He has given to me was no part of it. But when we think of idolatry, especially when we think of it like in, in, in the context of Scripture, we need to think of the context that idolatry is brought up. You see, it's very easy for us to come to church, to come and sit down, sing some songs, maybe even go, mmm, that was a warm thought to drop our offering in the box or to set up the online giving so we just know like, oh, we get like a notification from our bank and we're like, I just worshiped. Um, that we in, can go through all these motions and we can hear the word idolatry and think, oh, we live in such a screwed up world. They worship anything and everything. It's like that little book, Are You My Mother? And our culture's just walking around going, Are you my God? Are you my God? Are you my God? And we look down on the world. But when we read the Bible, almost every single time, not every single time, but most of the time idolatry is brought up, where's the finger pointed? At God's people. The nation's the world need to worship God. And Scripture over and over again, God comes to His people and says, worship me and me alone. Worship me and me alone. If you will worship me and me alone, if you will tear down the high places, if you will, if you will put away the false gods, if you will put away the graven images, if you will put away the statues, if you will get rid of all your bales, over and over, people of God, worship God only. It's this cry coming out of Scripture. And I'm just going to, there's a lot of parents in this room. I'm going to guess none of you repeated an instruction because the first time your child obeyed it so well. Is that fair? I don't think I've ever done that. I've never told my kids, go clean that up. And then after they cleaned it up, told them to go clean it up again. You only repeat the instruction because it's not being followed. So as God's people, as we read scripture, we need to realize, I am prone to wander. I am prone, even though I am seeking to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I am prone to filling my heart and mind with false gods. And so while it's easy and maybe remotely enjoyable if you're a little twisted to, to talk down on all the idols of the world, we need to speak directly to our own. And it gets uncomfortable. And I would argue that the more frustration and anger that gets brought up when idols are mentioned, 
that may be a pretty good diagnostic tool for what in your heart needs to be weeded out and what is drawing too much affection. That a good thing becoming an ultimate thing. It's not all religious syncretism. But we've pointed out obvious things like materialism, family success, and acceptance. But what are other idols that God's people need to deal with in 2022? What good thing are you making a God thing? Is there an ideal? Is there a political figure? Is there a religious figure who claims to be Christian, but maybe they don't really hold to all of Scripture. Maybe they don't really teach the grace of God. Is there a philosophy that you want to ascribe to? Sometimes we would want to pick on people's gods by just simply reading the bumper stickers or looking at the flags. And there's, there's one God that I... One area of idolatry within the church in America that I've seen. And I say this carefully. Sometimes our patriotism is more part of who we are than our citizenship in heaven. And that's sinful. You belong to heaven first and foremost. You were bought with a price by the blood of the Lamb of God. And I consider myself to be a patriot person, patriotic person. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, when leaders say things like America is God's hope for the world and the church of Christ, the body of Christ does not stand up and rebuke statements like that. There's a problem. We need to deal with our own idols, as uncomfortable and as painful as it can be. Who are we worshiping? Our hearts are only big enough for one God and one Savior. If the human heart could handle multiple gods and multiple saviors, then this wouldn't be an issue. So what are our weapons against idolatry? It is primarily, as we started, treat God the way we confess Him. And if you treat God the way we sing about Him, the way we confess Him, if we treat God in His holiness, if we treat God, like this, earlier we read out of Psalm 86, God, unite my heart. Take out anything divisive in my heart away from you. And he, and he says in, in, in Psalm 86, 9, he says, the nations will glorify you. He states the will of God. And then when he says, teach me, he ends with, that I will glorify you. God, will your teaching bring me in line with your will? That I will glorify you and no others. The nations one day, this is David saying this. So you think of the nations around him, of like of, of the Philistines and the Syrians. One day the nations will glorify God. And so God will, can I glorify you now? 
So let us, let us pray this. And, and in Psalm 86, as he has all of this coming down on him, his prayer in the middle is not, God, get me out of this horrible situation. God, make it all stop. God, smite them evil people. Those are the things we like to pray. But his prayer is, God, teach me. Unite my heart with you. Align me with your will for your glory. You are the only God. I have no other. He prays to follow God with a heart that has an undivided allegiance. To join the will of God by glorifying God with his whole heart. A heart that is not distracted by a secondary allegiance. This is a man who knows what his ultimate need is. He knows the draw of a false god, of depending on something false. And so at his greatest, most vulnerable moment, he says, God, keep you as the center. So some simple things to focus on God as the one true God. Pray that God would give you an undivided heart. God, will you undivide my heart? Expose to me things that are not eternal in me. Give credit where credit is due. Go through your life praising God for all that He has given you. Go through your day with gratitude for what God is doing. And no matter where your fears are, whether it's health, finances, something with the future, seek Him and His kingdom first. Trust His promises. And then be on the lookout in your heart for good things that have become ultimate things. And when you find those, repent and turn. So we exist to bring glory to the one true God. We are by God. We are for God. We are, it's only God. And then it's in all we do. All your atoms. Let all your atoms bring praise to God. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. Let us realize that there is not a single atom or molecule in your body that is exempt from glorifying God. When it comes to us living lives that love God with our whole heart, strength, and mind, when it comes to devoting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, and we join in what Romans calls calls us to that in view of God's mercy, we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, as a spiritual act of worship. Let us bring glory to God in all we do. That this would not just be a music-only thing, but our attitudes, our leisure time, our thoughts, our motives, our repentance, our devotion, our energy, our conversations that they would all glorify God. I, uh, I've had a lot of friends and family members who have served in our nation's military, and I'm so grateful for everyone I talk to who has served in the military. Um, but I've never met a one of them who went into a, a, a recruitment office, talking to a recruiter, signed that, signed that line 
on the enlistment form who said, who, who, were, who was able to, to put in like some fine print of like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself to the, to the military. I'm going to get some great money for education out of this, but I'm only going to serve the military. I'm going to change my, my oath. Uh, it's, it's only going to include my left leg. I'm only going to serve with my left leg. I'm only going to serve with my innards. Uh, that way I can get out of like the fitness test of like having to do a bunch of push-ups and pull-ups and running. I'm only going to serve that. If you tried that, like it, it just, I'm just going to say no drill sergeant in this country is going to accept that. Show up to boot camp and be like, you know what? I, they said I wouldn't need to use my right foot. So my right foot is mine. The rest belongs to the government. They'd be like, no, no, you now belong to the government. That's the way it is. And when we view our worship of God, how much more worthy is the Lord? How greater is our God? And who am I to say, Lord, you can have all of me except? Who am I? To... He made me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. His eyes saw my unformed substance. Who am I to say, God, you can have everything but Friday night. You can have everything but my browsing history. You can have everything but my money. I worked for that. Who am I to say, God, I will withhold this from you. Let him be glorified in all we do. And this is a hard task. It's impossible for us. And sometimes we need a, a moment like this where our idols are called to the front. Our allegiances are called to the front where we can really say, or we need suffering in our lives where we can say, God, my heart's been divided and nothing else I've ever depended on is going to help me here. I need you to help me in this season. And some of you may have already resolved for some change. Some of you are maybe fearing that one random day this week, it's, it's, that, that resolve is going to fade away. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I, I probably need to change, but I have a real fear of missing out. That if I give God all my atoms, that I'm going to miss out on something else. You know, the Old Testament prophets had a great way of dealing with this. And what they would do is they just, they just throw out whatever that century's version of a graph was. <laughs> and they'd say, here's, here's the gods of the nations. Here's the God of the universe. And they would say things like, the gods of the nations, those idols, they're stupid. They're just, they have no intellect. It's a stump. You have to like fasten it to something so it doesn't tip over. How is that God going to help you? You made it yourself and you worship it? Who does that? It can't talk. It can't see. But the God who created the universe, by his understanding, he thunders and sends forth lightning. That he saves you. There is absolutely not a thing you will miss out on by following God with all your atoms. Our God who is full of grace and mercy and forgiveness at the moment of repentance. It is not a waste. 
to glorify God instead of yourself. It is actually the best use of your life to say, Lord, all of me for all of you. And with Scripture to say, who is there like our God? He is the only God. Let us pray. Father, we repent of of times where, where we have without sacrificing produce or or an animal to a false god where we have certainly sacrificed our time or our money or our affection to something or someone other than you. You are the only God. And you would make us your children. Lord, we praise you. May you receive all glory and honor and strength and power forever and ever and ever. Amen.